Hey everyone, this is my brother Michael. My brother Adam. We're the Sharf Brothers. You're listening to Mentoring for the Modern Musician. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Good to have you back. M3 community. We're very, very, very excited. So excited. So today we're going to talk to uh, Keith Hatchek, the Director of Music Management Program at University of the Pacific in Stockton, California. Not Stockholm. God, it's, it's a whole different, whole different place. place. Whole different thing. Way over, you know, that's so different. it's no Stockholm syndrome here. This that's is, right. This is Stockton. This is Stockton, California, near, near San Francisco. And uh, he is also the author of uh, How to Get a Job in the Music Industry. Industry. It's in its third edition. Third, it's third edition. And it's, you know, just so you guys know, it's it's one of the textbooks that they use at the Berkeley School of Music Absolutely. in Boston. So, so the man is a wealth of knowledge. Unbelievable. And this is, he's just such a great Get dude. yourself a cup of coffee or tea or a beverage of your adult choice. Right. Or just sit back, strap in, enjoy. Keith, it's Adam from Mentoring for the Modern Musician. And Michael. Hi, Adam. Hi, Adam. Hi, Michael. How are you guys today? We're terrific. Thanks for being on the podcast with us. Great. Thrilled to talk to you, actually. Yeah, no, it's great to great to visit with you guys. And uh, again, any friend of Andre's is somebody I'd love to meet, I'm sure. So, uh, yeah. Definitely. We yeah. feel very much the same way. Yeah, no, all good. And, and I'm looking forward to sharing, you know, some of what I know with you guys today and just want to applaud your uh, your podcast. I checked out a couple of them and uh, got some great information up there. I'm going to hit my students out to some of this stuff. Fantastic. Oh, that's terrific. That's we great love to, that. That's great to hear. The more people we, we get to reach uh, as with what we, with what you're doing, we, that we feel the same way about everything yeah. we've read. Absolutely. I mean, we, it, there's, you know, we, we realized in doing our research for the show about you that we could do a podcast series of probably 12 to 15 easily. podcasts on you. <laughs> so <laughs> easily. Well, I don't know. Flattery will get you far. So okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love... Um, I mean, we're we're, the, we're part of what we're going to talk about today is is um, your book, how to get a job in the music industry, which is in its third printing. Yes, third. Yeah, edition. third printing. Yeah. Um, and so anybody who wrote a book with that title, that's used <laughs> at Berkeley, uh, in in the music business courses, you know, it's a guy who's going to have some information Absolutely. about maybe what's going on. So I like that. <laughs> well, that's good. It was good. Good to be on the show today. Absolutely. So. Let's let's start um, and give us just a brief uh, uh, history of um, well your evolution in the in the music industry. Sure, yeah, no problem. Um, well, I uh, I started off like many people, uh, and it's funny that we're doing this interview now, right? Because this weekend is the uh, anniversary of the Beatles coming to America and playing right. on the Ed Sullivan show. So yep. much like Tom Petty, I was sitting at home <laughs> watching Ed Sullivan. And right. although I didn't, I didn't know the word at the time as a 12 year old, I was gobsmacked. Yeah. You know, yes. what, 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 what were these people doing up there and right. why was it so cool? Right. Like, why was this was just, and, and even my mother who was kind of like suspicious was like, well, it's not too bad. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, nothing happened right away, but a seed was planted and, uh, when I was 13, we moved to California, uh, from the East coast and, mm-hmm. uh, I ended up kind of hooking up with some people on my street that they needed somebody to play, you know, pluck two notes on a bass guitar to play right. Gloria. And Perfect. Like, ah, uh, of course, Gloria. Just, has to be. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, who knew? And uh, I took a few lessons, then mostly was self-taught and enjoyed playing music. And I uh, studied a little bit of music in school, but uh, didn't have that many opportunities because I wasn't a classical musician and I didn't mm-hmm. sight read well, but mm-hmm. I ended up playing mostly by ear. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did somehow manage to wobble my way through college. And uh, when I got out, I was lucky enough after a few months of knocking around and odd jobs to find a job basically playing guitar in a covers band. And uh, that turned into a full-time thing. And then from there, started doing studio guitar work. And then from there, joined a band that was doing all original material. And uh, over the next five years or so, was fortunate enough to do a lot of West Coast touring and get signed to a development deal with Capitol Records. So nice. learn a little bit about that side of the business. Yeah. And... Uh, realized, uh, you know, in my late 20s that uh, I'd gone as far as I could go with the Mm -hmm. determination and talent that I had. Mm -hmm. And I was fascinated uh, to also, you know, the time I was on the other side of the glass as a recording musician, I was kind of always like after the session bugging the engineers, like, (laughs) how did you get the guitar to sound that way? And uh, how how come you put the mic over there on the bottom of the snare drum and the top? Right, right. Absolutely. I was basically a nuisance. The best and kind so, of nuisance. Uh, that's how you find all the. That's how you get the best information. Being the pleasant pest. Yeah, exactly. So um, you know, one thing led to another, and uh, the guys who I played with for our four and a half years decided they wanted to forge on, and, and I decided to leave the band. And at the same time, I got married. Uh, that was kind of a big life change. Mm-hmm, and uh, so I uh, sold most of my gear, sold the van, and uh, bought some recording equipment. And there were no recording schools back then, so I basically rented a warehouse and bought a book, basically <laughs> called "How to Build a Recording Studio" by Jeff Cooper. Beautiful. And uh, found a carpenter who needed to record, and together oh. we built a recording studio, Bayshore Studios. Perfect. So that was my first studio, 1979. Wow. I ran that for four years. Had a couple partners, one of them who had gone through the very first California-based recording school called the California Recording Academy, <laughs> and uh, uh, and uh, he taught me a lot of stuff about mic placement, right. and about compression, and about how to line a tape recorder, because we're talking analog. Oh, here. yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, you know, I built up the business a little bit and then got to the point where I needed to invest a lot more in gear. Mm-hmm. and uh, was starting a family, and so made the decision it was time to go to work for a bigger studio, sure. big, bigger bigger resources. Yeah, let so them I, spend I the money work, on the equipment. Well, yeah, and I started work in 1983 at a place called the Music Annex, which at that time was one of five or six 24-channel studios in the San Francisco area, and 24 was the state-of-the-art that back was it, then. Man. Absolutely. And uh, got to record, and engineer for some great people, work with Wyndham Hill Records, work with Ronnie Montrose, work with Steve Smith and Neil Peart and people like that. Yeah. And uh, and learned that I was actually better pulling the sessions into the studio and booking the sessions and helping make sure the artists and producers okay. got everything they need. And so the owners of the studio sort of pushed me over to the business side and uh, the rest kind of took care of itself. Fascinating. Uh, oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, so we grew that company, and I was there for 11 years. and Got into audio post-production, working with clients like MTV and VH1 and all the big ad agencies, Footcone Belding, J. Walter Thompson, providing audio post-production services right when sound was starting to make a difference in television. Right. Um, got to work on some great films uh, like uh, Mrs. Doubtfire and Henry and June and 
Wow. Uh, That's so the, cool. Uh, the story of the AIDS quilt. We did the audio for that. Oh, yeah. So, um, so, you know, my career really moved more to a business and marketing side. And then in 95, I left the Music Annex um, and started a marketing agency in San Francisco and ran that for about six years. And during that time, started teaching part-time at night. Mm-hmm. And that led to the first idea to publish the first version of the book, How to Get a Job in the Music Industry. And it turned <laughs> out to sell pretty well. And yeah. then I parlayed that into a full-time teaching gig. And now I teach and direct the music business program out at the University of the Pacific here in California. And I write and research and uh and enjoy living in California and tasting wine when I'm not working. <laughs> right. That's a good place. Well, you're near That's... wine country, right? I mean, because the University of Pacific yeah. is in uh, Stockton, which is near it's in, it's San Francisco, Stockton, right? California. Yeah, it's it's about an hour east of San Francisco, and right near where the campus is is one of the most famous Zinfandel growing regions in all of California, Lodi. So, well, yeah. Oh, Lodi's right there. Yeah, it's ten miles. Okay. Okay. Even though okay, it's sort of made infamous by John Fogarty. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, there, right? definitely. Oh, that's it's, great. It's actually a pretty hip place. Oh, that's, that's really so fantastic. Yeah. So that that's sort of the, that's the backstory. Love it. What I love is it, 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 throughout your career, you were doing something that everybody everybody has to do now, which is move forward. Don't think about it as being locked into something you're going to do for the next 50 years. Go where your talents lead you. Work really hard and look for the next opportunity. And it's yeah. just, I mean, it's like if you lay, like looking back at it, it looks like you laid it out from the beginning and went, all right, so I'll do this for a while and then get my touring shops right. in. Right. Then I'm going to get married, settle down, do some. I mean, it just yeah. is a brilliant uh, career path. I mean, yeah. if only it was a plan. Right. No, exactly. <laughs> well, but, but what, I mean, you know, all, all my musician friends, when I sold my gear, sold the van and said I rented a warehouse and was working with a carpenter. They basically thought I was crazy. Right, of course. course. They're like, man, how could you give up the dream, though? You're, you know, you're, you're not going to be touring anymore. You're not going to be doing the yep. thing, right? Don't, yep. don't sell yep. all your gear, man. You don't know. You might get back <laughs> to it. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, and, and that's one thing I think, you know, that, you know, in the book, I talk about that a little bit, is that music careers oftentimes are not straight line mm-hmm. careers. You know, that there are detours, and that's okay. It's healthy. And right. one of the things that I learned, especially when I had a, you know, faced the decision of, did I want to continue to be a better sound recording engineer or was I going to be comfortable and happy doing more of the business side of running and helping run the music annex? Um, and I just had to say that that was an opportunity and a challenge. And I thought, you know, something new would be growth. Um, right. I knew how to, I knew how to run the board. I knew how to mix an album, mm-hmm. but like the hours were long. Mm-hmm. Yep. I had a young family right. and I thought, you know, there's some extenuating circumstances here. And of course it worked out great because I'm not going to lie to you over the next year that I moved to business, my salary, you know, went up dramatically of course. from being a sound engineer. Right. So that was, that was a nice fringe benefit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's funny. You should talk about it that way. Uh, Keith, we, we talk to our clients all the time, our artists all the time about following that joy in that whatever that next step is. And if mm-hmm. that takes you to a different area of the industry, well, that's fine that you're still, you're still being that musically driven, you know? Uh, so we have two, we have two artists that we worked with. Uh, one is now the, 
a uh, and um, an assistant uh, um, agent at WME, and oh, another one is the music director for the biggest rock station in Boston. Oh, um, right, and and both of these guys, you know, when we started working with them when they were in their teens, you know, they wanted to be, you know, John Mayer and you know, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. have that kind yeah. of career. And yeah, yeah. they yeah. just did what you just talked about, which is to learn everything they could learn on their path, keep following the path until it sort of gives them this opportunity to go mm-hmm. one way or the other. And, and the, you know, and the thing that we talk about all the time is, is, you know, where's that joy, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, uh, you know, I think uh, a different way to look at it is that, you know, if one door seems to be closing, you have to be perceptive enough to see if there's other doors around you opening, right on. you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, the guys who stuck with it, who had been in the band I'd been in, they made it a little further. Mm-hmm. Um, they got signed to a deal with uh, Fillmore Records, Bill Graham's, uh, you know, young yeah. record company uh, yeah. at the time. And yeah. they put out a couple of singles and you know, continued to tour a little bit more, but then they found personal, you know, things uh, that were interesting to them mm-hmm. and including, you know, moving on and, you know, getting married and stuff like that. And so, you know, I, I think I just hopped off the bus maybe a year or two <laughs> earlier than they did. Yeah, right, right. right. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so everyone in their own time. But uh, the thing is, there are so many fulfilling roles throughout the world of music and entertainment. And that's one of the things I try and emphasize in the book. It's one of the things I love about your book, actually. You know, is that, you know, I kind of have this thing called the 50 to 1 rule. Okay. And uh, the 50 to 1 rule is that every time we see somebody on stage, like we were watching, you know, Cardi B and Bruno Mars Mm -hmm. tear it up the other night on the Grammy Awards. Every one of those professionals has got about 50 people that are in their back room between publicists, managers, business managers, attorneys, publicists, stylists. um, And those people, I always tell my students, you know, if you're on the chart, your music may come and go. uh, And (laughs) it's rare for an artist to really be popular for more than maybe three or four album cycles. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. at most. We're talking six, eight years. Right, tops. But those, those, those offstage people, those people have careers that span decades. Right. And because whatever the new type of popular music is or whatever the new trends are in entertainment, the fundamentals don't change. Right. And so once you understand how business really works and the relationships between talent managers and concert promoters and radio and Internet programmers, um, and artists and songwriters and performing rights organizations, once you understand sort of the ecosystem of the business, you can move between jobs and between right. companies and be effective because you take your skill set with you wherever you go. Right. And mm-hmm. so, uh, mm-hmm. so, so although, you know, the spotlight may not be shining on you as directly as the artists you represent, um, there's some real job security there. Right. And once you've built up your skill set, to kind of be able to contribute and make a difference. I mean, artists, you know, they need people around them that can basically take care of the business challenges. Um, most artists, in my experience, don't really want to read a 20-page contract. <laughs> they nope. want an email that summarizes what the five or six points of contention are in right. the deal and anything that has long-term ramifications for their earnings. And right. outside of that, 
they're kind of okay with it. I mean, obviously, right. they want to know that their attorney's booked over, but well, yeah. as a manager, you know, your job as a manager for talent is to basically make it easy for them to make a well-informed decision. Absolutely. And so, I mean, that's a real talent. And yeah. so I'm teaching an artist management class with our students. We take a 35-page record company contract, and I make the students boil it down to a two-page bullet point oh, MOU. That way they have to say, okay, these are the key points in this contract to an artist. And then we get a local artist, and we actually sit down and videotape them, explaining it to them, you know. Wow. And then give them critique on how to do it better. Because I think, you know, there's no substitute for doing it in a real situation. And right. even if the artist you're talking to is just a 16-year-old rapper who hopes to eventually make it one day, having a conversation with them and having to explain, you know, what does, you know, what do residuals mean? What right. does, uh, what does uh, you know... Uh, Why do I need uh, to avoid they, into perpetuity? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What, 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 what's, what's the key man clause? About, right. You know? Yes. So, so, so anyway, so I think that's really helpful stuff is to think that, you know, whatever you're doing now in music, you're building skills and knowledge that you can use in a variety of settings. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you need a skill set and you need to be awesome at whatever yeah. it is you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk yeah, about what, what, Go ahead, please. Yeah. One of my mentors was a guy named Murray Allen. He uh, was one of the people that worked at Universal Recording in Chicago and then went on to you know, help pioneer the sound for the Grammys for the telecast and, mm. um, and ended his career out here at Electronic Arts in developing their audio and video production team. Wow. And Murray always said when he was interviewing people, I just want them to be an expert at one thing. And it doesn't even have to be what I'm going to hire them for. <laughs> but it shows they, you know, they, they, he says, it could be stamp collecting, right? Yeah. But I want to know they're an expert at one thing, that they're really, really curious about one thing, because that tells me that a person can learn. It's they're in there. capable of learning, right. and they're capable of really maintaining focus. Oh, I love that. So I yeah, do, I do too. Yeah, yeah. And that, that was a good watch for it. When I ran my Hatchet and Associates agency, I looked at the same thing when I was interviewing people. Like, mm -hmm. what are you passionate about? And if it was collecting old blues vinyl, tell me all about cool. it. Cool. Tell me have. about it. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I, I, it's because that passion about something like that is something that really can't be faked. Nope. <laughs> right? And and it says a lot of, if, about somebody who might not have that, that that's, you know, the world is a difficult place. And the music industry is, I would argue, even diff, more difficult than most other places. Than most. Uh, yeah. yeah. And if you're not passionate about something, you're not going to be able to do this. No, no. I, when we start off the first week in our program, I beg students to change their major because it's like you're going uphill from now until you get the job. Wow, do you sound just like us? We are laughing hysterically because the first thing we have always said to artists the second we start working with them is, so you should probably do something else. Is there something else that you can do that you'll feel good about doing? Then do that. Yeah. And keep music as your avocation and not yeah, your vocation. Exactly. And then when yeah. you can't yeah. talk them out of it. Then, then you, you go, go okay, oh, then right. here are the things you need to know. Exactly. And this is how you, this is why working hard is going to matter. Start. And, exactly. Oh, yeah. I love that you do that. That's yeah, so I great. Too. That makes I me feel that. so calm. It makes me feel much better about the fact that we do it. <laughs> <laughs> I always, because in the back of my head, I always kind of thought I was a jerk for doing that. But it was no, meant, it's no. comes, it comes it's, from it's, a loving place, It's from a loving right? place. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Well, yeah, you're just trying to be honest, candid, you know. It is a severe uphill climb, you know, and. And that's why I try and introduce the idea that there are so many careers 
in and around music, you know, that uh, once you understand the business, which most people don't, I mean, certainly most consumers don't, right? right. um, then you're in a position where you can talk about how the business works and you can meet people and you can actually have a meaningful conversation with them. So, I mean, that's, that's really a lot of what I think most college music business programs focus a lot on uh, trying to help students be prepared to enter whatever the industry is going to be by the time the student finishes up. <laughs> right. I think the better ones, the better ones um, tend to also focus on developing your interpersonal skills. Yeah. Because it's everything uh, in the industry. If you can't work a room, you're going to have trouble in the music business. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No yeah. doubt. You know, I, uh, it makes me want to add, there's, Two questions just around your uh, questions, observations around your book that uh, that and the articles that I've read with you and the interviews that I've that I've read too. Uh, that so biggest biggest observation that I take away is that it seems to me as though you uh, are trying to start from a place of positivity. Is that accurate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I would I would agree with you completely. Um, I think you know first off without going too philosophical. <laughs> you, you can know, do that. Go philosophical on us. Our dad actually is a philosophy professor. We, we so live in times, we live in times when angst and worry generate money. <laughs> you know, with the, with the advent of mm-hmm. 24 hour news cycle right. and instantaneous responses, right. um, everybody in the world who has access to digital media is exposed to sort of like almost a nonstop ebb and flow of messaging and uh, advertisements and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. So I think by and large music, I mean, music itself uh, is an incredibly powerful communication media. And so I think that people who are working in the music business um, have an opportunity and from my perspective, um, a responsibility to look for what is the positive, what is the net plus that every single person who might be involved in experiencing music, whether it's a concert, whether it's a radio broadcast, when you're driving home from work, whatever it is, that there's some aspect where music might be able to touch a listener or an audience member. So I think there are always going to be beefs. There are always going to be things that people aren't happy with, and not only in the music industry, but in the world in general. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And so I, I do come from a place of saying, how can I make this situation better for you? So if I'm talking to an artist and he's not happy with his record deal or he's not happy with his streaming numbers, okay, let's put our heads together. How can we make that better for you? How can we improve that? Let's turn that around. There are ways to do it. There are strategies that work. There's a consultant that works in that field. She could give you some advice as a consultant. Let me put you guys together. Right, right. Because I think, I think you know, there gets a point where when people are basically pushing a negative message, things are bad, the industry's ending, right. you know, the record industry's dying. I just think in a sense that a lot of that kind of engendered uh, a sense among music consumers that music uh, I won't say it isn't important anymore, but it wasn't the same value. The valuation changed dramatically. And so I think, you know, for music managers today, we do have to kind of stand up and say, hey, creativity is precious. 
yeah. and music can change people's lives. Yeah. It yes. Can make people happy, smile, laugh, uh, etc. And so let's let's see what we can bring. Whether we're recording engineers, managers, bookers, talent buyers, roadies, you know, yeah. uh, security guys at the concert. You know, let's see what we can do. Yeah. Put a smile on our fans' face and have them leave thinking. I'm going to come back. I had a great time at this show. So, so I, I, I do think it's an element of what I do, especially with young people thinking about entering the industry, mm-hmm. to say, you've got to bring some positive energy to this gig. And if you do, people are going to want to be around you. That's so great. You know, what you're hitting on is that you used the word a little while ago, and I just want to, I, I want to put everything that you said under the umbrella of this idea of experience. That what since record sales are no longer what they were, uh, and that was a way of connecting with with the artists, that was the primary way that that the industry I think thought of, about connecting with the artists was through this mm-hmm. was through record sales. Agree, yeah, and, and the record package, right? yes, like, exactly, it was yeah. from your favorite artist. Absolutely, you it up. There were lyrics inside. Right. There was artwork. There yep. were photos of them in the studio. I'm thinking back to Tom Petty's Wildflower. Definitely. Yes. Oh, right, absolutely, right, right, man. Exactly. Those, absolutely, man. All those pictures of that recording, you know, yeah. the Value Play studio and that. Right. So it's like, <laughs> right. as a fan, I felt like I was almost there. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And that hasn't gone away. It's <laughs> just, in a. it now is in a different way and almost, not almost, and it's much more accessible now with social oh, yeah. media and with, you know, web presence and, you know, you want to be able to, we talk to artists all the time again about making sure that you're bringing that to your fan experience everywhere. Right. And mm-hmm. the whole part of your career. That yeah. it's, and, and that it's authentic and right. uh, consistent with what you're trying to, trying to do, but mm-hmm. the accessibility it can help with the experience if we see it. And again, I love your the the positive. Right, it's an opportunity. Your, your positive mission statement mm-hmm. that you that was just yeah. what you were talking. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm here. I'm like, yeah, there you go. It's like there it is. It's a mission. It's not just right. a job. Right. It's. I mean. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's not to say there aren't going to be things you need to walk away from. Of course. Right. You know. Right. And and if a de- if a deal is a bad deal is a bad deal, you right. have to say. I appreciate the offer. It's not right at this time. Right. I'm yes. going to move on to something else. And I wish you well. And, you know, cut the tie if you have to. Right. But but there are so much that can be done, you know, in a positive way. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. That you're going to get way more stickiness if people feel like, A, you're listening to their side of the story, and B, you've got something to offer back that maybe isn't exactly what they're looking for, but it's better than what they had before or, yeah. or a little bit of an improvement. So I think, you know, I do think we're in a time of incremental change um, in our business, and there's no way around it. Um, the, the, what we loosely refer as the world of tech mm-hmm. yeah. um, has pretty much hijacked a lot of the uh, momentum totally. of how music gets Listen to. Oh, absolutely. And so a lot of my a lot of my students when they graduate do end up gravitating to companies like Apple and Google mm-hmm. and Amazon, and they're working in the music units there. Right. And they're trying to figure out how what they know and what they learned makes sense in the new economy, the new music and digital economy. Right. And so you know, I I am hopeful down the road. I think you know we've gone through a couple of cycles of this stuff. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sort of remembering back 
I don't remember the name of the book right now, but it was talking about the rise of the cable television industry. And and (laughs) I I seem to remember the book saying something like the congressman who at that time in the late 1950s or 1960s approved cable television, like people are going to run wires underground to every home in America and TV (laughs) is going to come in like little green men are going to land. Like like, that's going to happen. (laughs) Right. Right. So, so I think in a way, you know, our industry, the stewards of our industry, and some of those people are, you know, friends of mine and or my age. Uh, we just uh, misjudged the absolute tidal wave yeah. that the technological revolution that started in the 1990s with personal computers and continued with cell phones and digital devices would have on all entertainment properties. Oh, absolutely. And so we're, it's, I think it's going to take the current generation, meaning the people that are between the ages of 20 and 30 years old, mm-hmm. I think they're going to figure out what really has value to them. Yeah. And I'm very confident that music and creativity is going to be right in there. Absolutely. And we're, we're going to come up with some better solutions to partner with the creative community mm-hmm. and the digital providers, mm-hmm. but it's going to be a slog. I mean, we aren't going to get there overnight. Yeah. Well, there's, so, so it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, that it's funny. You talked about the, the misjudging, you know, when the Napster phenomena, you know, happened, there, mm-hmm. there are, there's, there's, you know, it is documented that there were music execs who thought, well, the internet's a fad, so we don't have to worry about this. Correct. Right. Correct. And, and that's not yeah. an over, that's not a, an exaggeration that actually happened. It's a real thing. And yeah. then, and then the other thing that, that I, I, I think of when, when I'm, when we're talking about this is, is the numbers that came in last year that music consumption is actually at an all time high. That people are listening to music like never before, yep. uh, and so I think you're right. I think that it's going to be the twenty to thirty year olds and younger uh, who are going to figure out. Okay, so how do we monetize that in a way that? Hmm. And maybe we won't ever see the, you know, the huge, you know, Frampton comes alive where everybody's buying know. four million copies of the record, <laughs> and, right? And we right. won't, you know, the right. Joe, the you know, the Joe Walsh song, you know, I got a, you know, I got a mansion. Forget the price. I ain't never been there. They tell me it's nice. You know, maybe yeah. we're not going to see yeah. as much of that anymore. Yeah. Although I think there will always be artists that will that will break big like that. Yeah, maybe not yeah. as many. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think I think as long as there are major media companies, mm-hmm. there's going to be star property. Yes, right. right. There's, right there's going to be right a blockbuster on. movie. Yes, a blockbuster album. Mm-hmm. The blockbuster, whatever, as always, going yeah. the room room for the blockbuster, and in fact, it's enhanced because now in social media you can have right. something like the ice bucket challenge, right? <laughs> right, right, which is something that didn't benefit Disney or Universal, right, right. or Sony. It benefited right. the ALS, you know, right on. Charity. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I think that's that's another little hopeful sign there. But yeah, no, there, there's always going to be blockbusters, but I think the difference is. The, we, we, meaning I'd say people 35 and over, mm-hmm. grew up with a very directed yeah. model, as you guys just referred to, yeah. Yeah. which was artists put out stuff, labels distribute the stuff, people <laughs> like the stuff, radio and consumers enjoy the stuff, pay for the stuff, listen, license the stuff, everybody kind of gets a paycheck, and then you do a tour to promote the stuff, the right. record or whatever. <laughs> right. It is. right, exactly. And so 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 now it's kind of totally upside down. You only make a record if you're gonna be going on tour because you need that to get a little more promotion 
to sell tickets for your tour. Exactly. Yeah, it's like literally, yeah. it's, it's, it's turned on its head. And Absolutely. t-shirts so, and coffee mugs and meet and greets with the band. Exactly. And, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Or, the, you know, the Dave Matthews Band Snowboard. Which right. Is totally a cool merch item. Right. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> right. so, exactly. so the good news in all that, you guys, um, Michael and Adam, is that now... It really matters if you can play live in front of oh, people. Oh man, yes. isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it really does. I mean, I'm I'm remembering, you know, the early '90s. You know, when oh. you know, uh, Kai samplers were coming in, and right. you know, if you look good, you could get on a record, and then all of a sudden, mm. wow, you could be up for a Grammy. And wait, you didn't actually perform on the record, right? You know? yeah. <laughs> like so. So now you can't even get to a position if you can't stand up in front of people and get them to stop yelling at each other in a bar and drinking and listen to you. <laughs> right. That's always one of my standards is you can go into a bar and get people to stop talking and listen to you play music. You're doing something right. You Absolutely. Know? Yeah. But but the ability to perform live and have a have an engaging show, I think that's the cornerstone of having a career today. Because um, I always have students that say, they'll say, you know, hey, um, I can just create my music in the studio and then just distribute it on SoundCloud and have a career. And I'm like, uh, yeah, you will have a career. It won't be in music, but you can do something else <laughs> and do the SoundCloud on the weekend. And they're totally confused. Like, whoa, whoa. I said, no, you have to be able to stand up on stage in front of people who you don't know. And I don't care if you're scared as hell. And you got to play your music and you got to talk between the songs and get them to listen to you. And by the end, you got to get them clapping and dancing. And right. if you can't do that, then you're not going to be doing this for a career. Right. Yeah. Right. And it really does boil down. I mean, in some ways, like that's the lowest common denominator. Sure. Can you perform live and make people want to come back? And if you can, everything else is available to you. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing for artists to remember too, because we're sort we're definitely skating the line with with uh, the artist mentality and the the needed business mentality when you're right. in the industry, and the artist mentality in this in my experience, has been very uh, me-centric. So very, mm -hmm. very I'm me, my. And, yep. and that's cool, and you need that to create, and that's fine. But mm -hmm. one of the things we always challenge artists to look at is go, that's cool, why do I care? Who yeah. besides your yeah. mom and your girlfriend, if you stop playing music today, would care? Mm -hmm. And that will sometimes kind of like tell them to get out of the business. We'll confuse them a little mm -hmm. bit for a minute, but then it helps them to think about it in a, in a bigger way and go, all right, so now look at the artists you love. Why do you care about them? What is it that matters to you? And that will help artists in their, I mean, my way, get looking inward for a positive outcome being, what do I provide? What is, what is it about me that's special? Can yeah. I, and like you're saying, can I stand up in front of people, play my songs and, and have them feel good? And have them entertained and yeah. have them get them to clap. Well, and sometimes the easiest question to ask is, is you turn it back on them and say, okay, so if you walked into that bar and saw you playing. Would you stay? Right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. No, that, that is a great question. Yeah. yeah. And that's, yeah. and that, and I think that that can, and I think that that question can translate to the business end of it too. Again, totally. Everybody that mm -hmm. you're talking about, you want to. Like the passionate question, what are you passionate about? It's the same thing in whatever job you're doing is, okay, so would you be happy with your performance, right? Yeah. With your investment yeah. in, in 
in the company, in the internship, in the interview process, in the, you know, all of it. I, it's one of the things I love about your book is, is it really is a, I mean, it's centered in the music industry, but it, a lot of what you talk about could be true for any entrepreneurial, uh, absolutely, you know, endeavor, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. that, yeah. You ha- yeah. it, and, and I love that you're talking to music minded people in that way, because it is something that given the new paradigm, we talk to artists about all the time is look, you're a musician. I get that. And that's what you want to be, or you're a manager or you're, uh, you're interested in being someone's publicist. That's great. But remember you're an entrepreneur. Like mm-hmm. this is, that's how it is. Uh, yeah. and so I just love that about, about your about your book and the, and your approach. Well, and I I want to circle back to w- my being impressed with your history, uh, and the, the, how you came to where Good. you are because you were really being an entrepreneur before anybody was talking about what that was. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it was kind of like there's it, a funny part to that. You know, transition from being a performing musician to wanting to be on the other side of the glass as sound engineer. At the time, the big studios in San Francisco, there were three of them. Um, one of them was called The Automat, run by David Rubinson. It was a former CBS studio. Okay. The other one was Fantasy Studios, yes. run mm-hmm. by uh, Roy Siegel in Berkeley. Mm-hmm. And the third one was The Record Plant, yeah. right. uh historic studio. Yeah. I went to every studio with my hat in my hand. I put on a clean shirt that was ironed. <laughs> I had on pressed pants. And I you know, had my resume in hand. And I said, basically, I want to work for you. I'm a musician. I understand music. I understand hard work. My parents were self-employed. I get that if you're not putting yourself forward and your company forward, you're not going to be successful. I can help your company. And one of the best quotes I got was from Roy Siegel, bless his soul. And he said, your parents own a successful business? Why? Why, Keith, would you want to come work here? <laughs> Just take over their business. You know? Get out of the business, would... kid. <laughs> he says, you're going to get nothing but grief. He says, every manager is going to tell you the studio is too expensive. Every musician is going to tell you you don't have the latest equipment. Right. And your staff is going to be complaining to you because I can't work another 16-hour day. Right. You know? he, says, right. he says, if if you're successful in the studio business, he says, you're going to get heartburn. And so being a 27-year-old kid, I basically said, okay, they all told me I couldn't do it. So I'm going to just build my own recording. I'll do my own. <laughs> yeah. right. I'll, be the, I'll be the boss. So, right. so you know, so oh, it's kind of funny that way. And, and, and I saw Roy late in life after he had retired, and I kind of told him, he knew I'd gone to work to music annex and done pretty well there. And he sort of said, well... He said, you found a way around all the problems I told you about. So more, more, more power to you. Absolutely. Well, and I love that. Uh, I, again, I love you adding to the to your background with that story because that is what it's about, right? Find the, you know, see if you where you can find the uh, your way around the problems that others have. Yeah. have right. Yeah. Right? That shows real wisdom. Yeah. 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 And honestly, that's Spotify in a nutshell, right? Absolutely. You look at interviews with Daniel Eck, one of the co-founders of Spotify, <laughs> yes. and he, he he's never changed his script. He goes, we are not a music company. What we do is we provide access to music and we use data to make people feel good about the music we're spinning for them. Right. Like, he got it. Right. It wasn't the music. <laughs> right. It was the experience. The experience. Which is back to what you guys were saying. Yeah. Absolutely. That's a great quote. I didn't know that quote. I, That's I fantastic. Love that. 
I love that. And it's a great way to keep yourself from being overly romantic or overly emotional about your specific role, role yeah. path yeah. at the moment. And, and think big picture. Think about what you're doing. Think about what you want to achieve. Think about where you want to be. Well, and again, this is why I brought up your, your foundational positivity that I sense in everything that you do. Because if you're approaching it, and I think if you're approaching it from that point of view, you're going to find the next thing that will be, that will propel you to greater success. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 you know some of these things are platitudes or cliches. Yeah. But if pe- people are putting out a lot of negative energy, mm-hmm. it's okay to leave the room. It's right. okay to quit the band. It's okay to cancel the recording session early. Yeah. Right. It's okay to hit the pause button. I yeah. mean, that's really young musicians are afraid that I'm going to miss something. Absolutely. If I walk out of this situation, my mm-hmm. career is over. Right. Your career is never over. Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's 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 only over when you put the guitar away for the last time. Right. And yeah. so so I mean I think the thing to think about is when you are immersed in negativity. Now that's not to say when you're getting constructive criticism right. and it is burning you oh, hard yeah. sure. that you can walk away from that. No, you have to face that. Yes. And, and that's why you need to be around people that are holistic in the sense that they know that to get better you have to fight to get better yeah. and you have to really practice your craft Absolutely. to get better. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, for anybody that's a musician and wants to be a professional performer, I encourage them to watch, you know, the film, this is it because the intensity that Michael Jackson brings to those rehearsals, right. when he was putting that final concert together <laughs> and his musical knowledge of yeah. every single musician's role yeah. Yeah. and the way he communicates both visually, verbally, and with body language mm. to the dancers, <laughs> that is a freaking master class yeah. in yeah. what it takes Absolutely. to be a real, successful, world-class performer, studio musician, backing musician, stage manager. I don't care what job you want in yeah. live entertainment. Absolutely. Watch that movie and, and you see how it has to be done. Well, I, I love that, and 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 I, that sort of rings in my head about you talking about things in the industry being the same, and that there are consistencies in the industry yeah. throughout. There, the, uh, there's a great bit in Sammy Davis's book. Uh, feels very Spinal Tap to bring up the Sammy Davis book, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, Go for it. Uh, where he somebody made an audio recording of one of his shows at. Um, uh, it was, I think it was Caesars where he was playing in Vegas and he was already doing like mm-hmm. a, a six month run or whatever. They recorded his show and played it for him and he was horrified. He thought he was horrible. He didn't like his between song banter. He thought it was fake and put on. So he started taping all of his shows and then after the show going back to his suite at like two or three in the morning, eating dinner and listening to his show and making notes. And he said after yep. doing that for about six weeks, now his show was locked in and, and he felt proud of what he was doing and he was already yeah. playing in vegas he right. was, was already a superstar, huge already. superstar right <laughs> yeah. He yeah he was already a headliner yeah no no but that's the thing your game can always get a little better always yeah and that was back in the yeah. 50s and that's no different than if you're a kid in boise with you know a, a, a garage band rig and you want to be the next big you know house yeah. music whatever you know it right. doesn't matter you yeah. good be yeah. awesome and continue to critique yourself and grow and but what's funny uh, bringing it back to what we're talking about with the business part is that that's what you did yeah, with your is, career just, anyway that's exactly right? that's, what I was that's what you were say. continuously doing with your with your growth 
as 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 an industry guy, always looking for the next. How do I make it better? How do I get better? How do I bring more value? How do I seize this opportunity and and get get to the next level? And it's always about being <laughs> more awesome. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. That's it. I mean. I mean. You're always going to be looking to do what you just did in many ways. Like, I mean, right. I think, you know, continuing what you're doing when it's working is good. Mm-hmm. But I mean, how many farewell tours are we going to get from some of these aging <laughs> rockers? You know? Exactly. Well, remember the uh, 19, was it 1985 Who's Farewell Tour? The Who's Farewell that Tour? That was their farewell tour. Yeah, I think that was, that, that was the so, first yeah. one. Yeah. And then I saw them yeah. 10 years yeah, yeah, later. Yeah. Right. So. And I did ask my students in class yesterday, I said, so did you guys think it was like a mistake that there was a blitz of radio ads getting encouraging people to buy tickets for Elton John's farewell concert in <laughs> January 2019? And one of the students looked at me and she smiled and she goes, no one in our age group like even would think about that. And she just said, that ad was aimed at people over 60 years old. And then it kind right. of hit me all of a sudden. It was like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Preaching to a different choir. That's all. So, yeah. Keith, I know that we had said uh, 45 minutes. I do still have a few questions if you don't yeah, mind no, no, hanging on the line. Minutes. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, I, I, I want to I talk about uh, just tie up, uh, talking about your history. And then I want to ask about uh, the Pacific Music uh, uh, Business Camp that you have. That you run, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, but given that, I sort of want to ramp up with this observation. Um, one of the things that that Adam and I talk about all the time with with our artists and and clients who aren't who aren't artists is about finding what we've called we call it finding your superpower, mm-hmm. identifying what it is that you do easier and better than anybody else you know. Uh, it comes through in one of the uh, the workshops that you have in in your book, um, talking about really looking at identifying who it is that you are and what your strengths are, and yeah. uh, and and I just want to say that it's really clear from your career path that you continued to do that, and and I would notice from I think it was an interview that you did for Berkeley uh, uh, either Berkeley Online or Berkeley Magazine about asking what your favorite part in the in, in the industry is and you, oh i think i know where you're going the, the, and you where, talk about you teaching the, the happiest people the happiest people <laughs> are the ones who are teachers and yeah, and yeah. so i just i i want to build on on talking about the the camp for uh grade it's grades nine through twelve right yeah what's the, yeah um and, and what's I, the actual what's the actual name of that camp it's called the Pacific Music Business Camp. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, okay. Uh, our, our our music business our music camp has been going on for seventy years. Wow. And so wow. students throughout the western states have come for a long time uh, and come in the summer. And like you know, if you're in tenth grade, you can live on a college campus, I, live in I a know. dorm. So come on, man. Day. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And you know. Jam at ten o'clock at night on <laughs> right. phone and not have your parents yelling at you. Right, like, absolutely. How, how do I sign up for that? Right. Mm-hmm. So the, the music camp had sort of a traditional either band or orchestral or choral focus for mm-hmm. like the first sixty years of yeah. its uh, existence. But we pulled the music business camp up um, 
I got to give credit where credit is due. Um, I have a great friend uh, at Anderson University in Anderson, Indiana, mm-hmm. and she invited me one summer to come and be a guest teacher at her music business camp. Um, and uh, I, I had such a fun time. I said, we got to do this at our school. So <laughs> yeah, we started ours great. in, uh, in 20, 2011. We started our music business camp. And uh, it's for students who have finished the eighth grade, but we, t- we have students some summers that are just about to enter college. They've finished high sure. school. And it's, it's the number one thing I tell parents is it's to have fun and make friends. Um, because honestly, I think that in the music business, uh, you guys are living examples of this, reading your background, you build relationships with people yeah. and you come to trust them and they come to trust you. Right. And those relationships are for life. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, even though I'm not in the recording studio business anymore, I can call a friend of mine up in New York or Los Angeles right. and ask them at a studio, hey, so-and-so asked, they need to do a little quick YouTube video on the interior of a recording studio. Said, yeah, 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 have her call me. Exactly. We'll work it out at a time when we're not busy, you know. Yeah. They take your call. They remember who you right. are. Right. So, so, so the camp is to have fun and make friends. And one of the ways we do that, have fun, is we have a songwriter track and we have a music producer track. Every day starts off after breakfast is the students come together and we have one topical class. That's something everybody needs to know about. Mm -hmm. Like say the artist team of professional advisors, like as an artist, (laughs) what people do you need around you to be successful? The team. Who's your team? Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we'll do the dreaded session on copyright and why it's your friend. <laughs> right, right. So, and again, we pitch it at the right level, but but I'm finding year to year because there's so much self education online, like yep. things that you guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Some of these high school students come in and they're at least as knowledgeable as my second or third year students about some of these music business questions. Wow, and that's that's really impressive. Yeah. That speaks well the for the industry. Self educate. Yeah. it does. Yeah, we're doing we're doing a little better job. Yeah. So um, we form them into camper creative teams, um, and they get together. Mind you, these students have never met each other before, mm-hmm. and uh, they get together in songwriting clusters. They've got a songwriting coach, um, and they, by the end of the week, are going to record and release a single that they've written with their camper buddies. Nice. And then we have a recognition event Saturday mornings when camp finishes up, and we premiere the tracks we blast them out the parents get to hear what their son or daughter's been up to during the week man that's so cool whether they're playing cowbell or they're belting out a ballad um, all the parents are pretty proud so and we've had students from sweden we've had students from italy we've had students from switzerland come and it's a it's a you know we have about 20 students a summer so it's a pretty intimate experience um, and a couple of the students have come to Pacific afterwards, which were very which flattered. Which is great. They had a good yep. enough experience. Yep. They chose to do their music business studies with us. Mm-hmm. But some of the other ones who don't, I'm still in touch with. Like, there's a girl in Switzerland, and she's got an emo group there now, and they're starting to tour a little bit in Europe. She's 19 years old now. Nice. And, uh, you know, so I just like to think that, you know, coming to the camp helped confirm for her that, like, yeah. This she's is like, oh, no, this is it. Go on. Absolutely. Yeah. could do this. Yeah. So 20, 20 students, it, have you ever had a feeling like you're, do you cap, do you have to cap it or would you be able to expand the staff if you needed to we have more? We can extend it. Yeah, we can yeah. extend it. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, great. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is just that, you know, most of the students do come from California, you know, and for some parents, um, you know, it's a great way to know their son or daughter is going to be in a safe, creative environment for a Definitely. week. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the parents hop on a plane and go to Hawaii. Right. Take a break. <laughs> exactly. Sure. Sure. Of course. Of course, yeah, that's it's yeah. just great. It's it it, it was uh, we read about it and we were just like, okay, this yeah is cool. 
Oh, it's, it's yeah. just phenomenal. Yeah. yeah, it's a great opportunity to and and again, I know you started with this, and I and I think I'll wrap. You know, maybe we can wrap with this that I I think that learning early on how important the relationships you make in the industry are. Oh yeah, is invaluable because that's how you're going to yeah. get the job. That's how you're yeah, going to hear yeah. about so, the job. So, that's how you're going to get to the next job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you need to plug a hole on a project, right? Yeah, um, right. And if, if you've got that network of, you know, and when you're young, there may only be five or six or seven people close in your inner orbit. You know, the book talks about inner orbit versus mm, outer orbit yep. and networking. And, and, and I think, you know, understanding that, that resource, you know, when I was a kid, okay, dating myself here, <laughs> I would sit in the hallway and read the Encyclopedia Britannica because I thought the stuff in there was super interesting. <laughs> but now that all happens. Yeah. on Instagram and Twitter yeah. and other platforms to find out information. I see my former students sometimes post on um, Facebook or Instagram, um, need a percussionist for Friday night at such and such. <laughs> uh, call me here, send me a per- an IM to yeah. check out what the pay and the rehearsal is, you know? Yeah. And like, we never had that stuff no. before. Like I had an actual Rolodex with actual right. business cards stapled on there. <laughs> exactly. And when I needed a drummer for a session, I right. went to D for drummers and I went, okay, <laughs> maybe this guy could do it. You know? So, oh, that's great. so uh, the relationships rule, yeah. that's kind of my thing. Yeah. Relationships rule. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm honored that you guys would ask me to do an interview and contribute to the podcast. And like, I'm figuring, Whatever I can do to help you guys out, and vice versa, I'm going to hit you guys up. Oh, we're I hope we look forward to visit, it. Visit my class. Yeah, absolutely, so, we'd uh, love to we'll get, you, get you guys to Skype in and talk with you know my students and tell them a little we bit would, about your journey. We would love to do that. We would Keith, love we're, to we're because just, you know relationships rule. So exactly, we're thrilled yeah. to be in your orbit. This is great. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, all good. Yeah, let's make it the inner orbit. I'd love that. Okay, absolutely. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much, Adam and Michael. It's been a pleasure to be on the podcast today. Keep it rocking with M3. You guys are on to something, and onwards and upwards. Thank you, brother. Keith, thanks so much, my All man. Right, we'll, we'll talk to you soon. All right, take care. Right. Bye-bye. Okay, take Bye-bye. Care. Bye. Okay, that was that was even more fun than I thought it was going to be. That was so amazing. <laughs> it was so... So I knew he was going to be a cool, positive... In, I mean, wealth of knowledge. Yeah, you guys, just, should, you guys should have seen Michael prepping for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, it's just well because there's so much to prep on yeah there's just he just is this like fountain yeah. of knowledge absolutely and so okay so for everybody listening when you run across somebody in the industry that comes into your orbit like keith and you start hearing these stories and you start noticing his vibe and you start noticing what's going on we were ending talking about relationships right mm-hmm. make sure that you do everything you can to have that be an honest real relationship because there are you are going to run into people like that absolutely that feel positive and 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 just energized and well and they energize you they're and gonna, yeah. they're also going to be just a wealth of knowledge absolutely and be real real players in the industry absolutely and those are opportunities that you want to pay attention to and just because you take the opportunity to find somebody like that and and be able to have a conversation with them or, mm-hmm. or that's not you're not being scummy no or, or, no like, that's no. the idea that's what relationships mean you're absolutely like, well and again the way he talks about you know trying to you're always looking for that thing that's going to make it better yes right and and you and i talk about that all the time yes and the reason that what you're talking about is so important is because you know use that old the old that old saying 
you know, smart people are people who learn from their mistakes. Right. Wise people learn are people who learn from other people's mistakes. Amen. So be wise. Be wise. And remember, you got this. We got your back. Thank you.